2: people living in a messed up world, if we're not careful, we're going to have messed up churches. A healthy church deals with the issues of sin and addresses them straightforward.
1: Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Today, as we're
2: in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to do something just a little different. God's Word is perfect and true. We always honor the reading of God's Word. But today, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Because this is an important passage And I want you to see that these are not my words But this is the word of our living God 1 Corinthians chapter 5 I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 It is actually reported That there is sexual immorality among you And of a kind that is not tolerated Even among pagans For a man has his father's wife And you are arrogant Ought you not rather to mourn Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of the malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even eat with such a one. Or what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those who are inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have opened your word. Our prayer is simple. Speak. And then give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart and mind receptive to you. Lord, clarify that which is confusing to us. God, would you teach us what we do not know? Give us what we do not have and mold and make and shape us into that which we have not yet become so that we might live for your glory. My prayer, Lord, is that The things I say and the things I even think in these moments would please you. And then I'd pray, Lord, that eternity would be impacted and that your kingdom would be impacted for the good, because we've gathered here. For we do not need just another ritualistic, religious service of church, but we desperately need to meet with you. So speak, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Paul, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, jumps right in in a pretty serious way. He deals with an issue of sin. And he does this because there's a truth I want you to understand. It really is the overarching one thing I think you need to get out of this passage of Scripture. Here it is. Sin is dangerous. It is destructive, and it must be dealt with in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't imagine I have to tell you that. Most of us have lived enough life where we've made choices that are sinful and we've seen the consequences. We're grateful for the grace of God, but unfortunately, sometimes we live with and walk with the consequences of our sinful choices. Biblically, a great illustration of this is King David. You know that the people cried out for our king, the children of Israel, and David was given to them as their king. But David experienced what many of us experienced. He allowed the pride of his position To begin to cause him to think he was above the law and so he did something he should not do one day when he should have been at war he was at home he looked across his balcony and saw a lady named Bathsheba and he had lustful thoughts toward her and I want you to understand something he did what naturally happens his thoughts turned into actions and so you know the story he had an affair with her in order to cover it up he ended up killing her husband he lied and he misled the whole kingdom of israel and he began to experience consequences in his life family consequences there was death and disease his family was impacted by what had happened one day a prophet named nathan came to him and nathan told a story and Nathan, if, if you can go back and read it, but basically he described a bullying situation. He said, David, what should we do if there's this rich, big bully, and he comes against this poor man who hardly has nothing, and he bullies him? Go read the story, but that sums it up. And David says, here's what you should do. Go get that man and bring him to me. I'll take care of him. And Nathan then looks in the eyes of the king, and he says, you are that man. And what we believe is that in that moment, David did experience conviction and begin to deal with the sin in his life. I read through the Psalms like I read through the Proverbs. If you read five Psalms a day, you can read through the book of Psalms every month. Today is the 11th. So I was in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the recorded prayer of confession and repentance of David, where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of your salvation To my life And so in the bible we see the importance Of dealing with sin That's what Paul is dealing with in this passage But he's dealing not only with Individual sin He's dealing with the importance of Sin in the church Corporate sin I want you to think about it There are a lot of problems in this world But it only makes sense that the problems of their world Make the way into the church Right Because the church is not bricks and sticks The church is us So if we are sinful people living in a messed up world, if we're not careful, we're going to have messed up churches. And that's what Paul's addressing. A healthy church, what Paul is going to tell us is a healthy church deals with the issues of sin and addresses them straightforward. Now, before we go any further, you can think about what took place in the first four chapters and not be surprised that we are here in chapter five. Because in the first four chapters, we see division in the church. The church had lost its focus. And any time a church loses its focus and does not live according to the mission and division and the purpose that God has set forth for the church, things begin to go awry. That's why the church must keep the main thing, the main thing. In our church, we're, we're pretty committed to that. We don't want to get sidetracked, chasing rabbits and doing things that divide us and keep us from what it is that God wants us to do. That's not because the church is a perfect place. In fact, I'm here to attest. I know the church is not a perfect place. Our church is not because I'm here and I'm, I'm not perfect. The church is not a perfect place. It could be better described as a hospital for sick sinners like me. But here's what we know about Hospitals. Hospitals should seek to deal with the sickness. What happens if a hospital doesn't deal with the sickness? It ceases to be a hospital. It begins to look more like a morgue, a funeral home. This is not surprising as we look across the landscape of the church in our culture. It shouldn't be surprising that most churches don't seem to have any life. Could it be that they've not dealt with the sickness of sin that we face? That's what Paul is trying to say loud and clear, because all sin that is not dealt with becomes a sickness that spreads into the body and infection begins to take place. I I can never forget the time when I was young and my mom ended up going into the hospital. And as she went in the hospital, I began to ask my dad what had happened. And he said these words. He said, mom had an infection, but it spread spread to her bloodstream, and she almost died. That's what happens when an infection is not dealt with. And so Paul is saying, deal with the infection. Look in verse 1. Let's lay it out. It actually is reported. Now, (laughs) that's a good place to stop because what he's saying is, I know it's hard to believe. But this is just not something I've heard someone whisper. Everybody's talking about what's going on in your church. Everybody knows. It's actually been reported there is sexual immorality among you. That word, if you've hung out in church, you've probably heard this before, but that word in the Greek language is actually the word "pornēa," from which we get the word pornography. And it means all kinds of sexual immorality. This is just a reminder in a day where there's a lot of confusion that the Bible is very clear on the subject of sexual ethics. And we begin to see this in, even in this passage. He says it's a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. That's interesting because the word he used that I just translated a kind literally means it's the worst kind. And then he says it's not tolerated among pagans, which is interesting because Paul, usually when he's not speaking about Christians or Jews, he refers to everybody else as what? Gentiles. But here he says pagans, because he wants us to understand that even those who have no awareness of God look at this and go, wait a second, that's not okay. My friend Elizabeth is here with us today, and and she travels across the continent of Africa. And there in Africa, she comes in contact with people from either no faith background or all all kind of indigenous faith backgrounds. And what we recognize is that even when there's no relationship with God, people generally have an awareness of morality. Now, by the way, this is a side note, but that should be a good apologetic for every Christ follower. Apologetic means a defense of your faith. So when you're talking to someone about why there is a right and wrong, that should lead to a conversation about the reality of and the existence of God. Because if there is a moral law, then there must necessarily be what? A moral law giver. And so Paul did that on many occasions. He would deal with why he believed in the faith. And so I say that just because in your conversations, I want to challenge you, start thinking about how you can turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. When you do that, the church will explode. So in a good way. And and so Paul is saying, hey, even the pagans, even the pagans, they, they look at this and say, that's not okay. Well, what was specifically going on? He tells us that because one of your men is having an affair with his stepmom. We know it's his stepmom because they say it's his father's wife and it was his mom. They would have just said his mom. So we assume a couple of things. We assume that the father nor this woman are believers because Paul doesn't address them. He's addressing the man. And you're going to see he's dealing with a problem among Christians. And there is a distinction. We also assume that uh, maybe his father was divorced from his birth mother, or perhaps a widow. But what we know is that he is in an ongoing, he's having, it's a present, the heiress tense, he's having a sexual relationship with this person. And Paul is saying, this is not okay. It's interesting. The, The Bible does speak about sexual sin. We're not going to focus on that today a whole lot because really the focus of this is Christians' response to sin in the church in general. Over the next several chapters, we are going to deal with what God's Word says in the book of 1 Corinthians about sexual relationships. But can I just take a moment, because it would be silly today to skip over this without addressing it. The Bible is clear about our sexual ethics. Can I just tell you in one statement what the Bible says? The only appropriate way for a sexual relationship to be experienced is between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. That's how simple and clear it is. So you don't have to pick and point and choose the things that are okay or not okay. The Bible is very clear on this issue. You just have to decide, do I agree with God's word when it comes to my sexual ethics? What that means is sexual relationship before marriage, outside of marriage, in any context, is sin and it's dishonoring to God. It means a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse. If you're in a marriage, is a sin and it's dishonoring to God. It means that a sexual relationship between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, it doesn't fit that definition given in scripture of a relationship between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. So that's a sin and that's dishonoring to God. None of those are better or worse than the other, but they're all sin and they're dishonoring to God. But in my lifetime, I don't know that there's been a a more appropriate time for the church to speak up and acknowledge there is an appropriate sexual ethic. And so just know this is a place where we do that. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We recognize when we come in, there are those from all economic backgrounds. There are those from many different races. There are those from different sexual experiences. There are those who are lost and those who are saved, those who are pursuing a relationship with Christ and seeking holiness, those who are living in sin. I recognize that, and we relate in love and grace, but we're gonna speak truth. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And and so we speak that today, and the church must. We must say loudly and clearly in this hashtag Me culture, that some things cannot be tolerated for in the evangelical church, just like in the Catholic church, we have seen there have been cover up uh, of, of inappropriate sexual experiences within the church. We cannot do that. We must speak loud and we must speak with one voice and we must say things like this, that domestic violence under any circumstance is not okay and would not be tolerated just like this inappropriate Sexual behavior. Before we move on, let me look back to chapters 1 through 4 because I want you to understand something. For the most part, those first four chapters dealt with what? Sinful attitudes. But this teaches us something. Sinful attitudes left unaddressed will always result in sinful actions. You hear us often in our church talk about the danger of pornography. And we do that because everything we read tells us that among uh, students and among adults, the involvement in pornographic material is um, is just as great inside the church as it is among those who don't profess to follow Christ. and And we wouldn't have to really have statistics to know that because... If you look at what is brought in by the pornographic industry each year, more is brought in from that industry than uh, businesses like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and others combined. And so why is pornography so dangerous? Some, even of faith, would say, well, if I'm just looking, if if it's just... My eyes and my mind, why is it such a problem? Here's the problem. Scientists have now told us that the viewing of pornography really does rewire the brain. And it's like a drug. Some of you have battled this with alcohol or with uh, some other drug. And you recognize the grip that it really does get on you, that you you get to a place you feel like, I've just got to have more. The problem with pornography is, those sinful thoughts get to a place where they have to be acted on. And I can just tell you as as one who counsels those who, who walk through marital challenges, be aware when we do not address sinful attitudes, it's very likely that that will lead us to sinful actions. But again, that really isn't what Paul's so upset about. He's upset at the church. And so he says in verse 2, And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? What is he saying to them? He's reminding them that pride is always the best friend of sin. And it's a reminder for us to look at our lives and say, is there any way where pride has caused us to have a blind spot and we're not seeing something that everybody else sees in our life that is sinful? It's like the person that says, bless God, that's one thing I would never do. Don't ever say that. It's like putting a bullseye on your back and it's open you up to the enemy. In fact, studies have been done of pastors that have walked through moral failures. And just, this is not the topic today, but there are four things that uh, it's common, almost 100% of pastors who have had some kind of moral failure. Uh, One is they've they've lost their intimacy in their relationship uh, with God. They're not having a daily time with God. Two is they have no one to whom they're accountable in their life. Um, uh, Three, they've often put themselves in an inappropriate situation, whether in counseling or or out in a meeting with someone uh, that they should not be along with. And then fourth, almost 100% of pastors who've got into a mess have said, that's one thing I could never do. It's pride. Creates a blind spot. I was thinking about that this week and working on it. And uh, I remembered a story that I used to love as a kid. You remember this story? The emperor's new clothes. It's a story of the king or the emperor who needs a new outfit for the parade. And he goes to these two tailors. And somehow they convince him that they have magic invisible thread. And they're going to make him an invisible outfit. And it is so silly, but it it kind of gets to a place to where he believes them. The story even says uh, he thought he would look foolish if he said, wait a second, I can't see any clothes. So he just trusted them. And the day came for the parade and he put on his non clothes and went out on the parade. Now, I just need to tell you, be careful. I'm going to turn this around and read this to you like it's a kindergarten class, but there is partial nudity. All right. So The parade made its way through the city and crowds of people stood in the streets, cheering and clapping, waiting for the emperor to appear. And when they saw the emperor at last, they could not believe their eyes. The people began to whisper to one another, but no one had the courage to say anything aloud. And one little boy and his sister made their way to the front of the crowd. And as soon as they saw the emperor, they began to laugh and point to him. And they said, look, the emperor has no clothes on. And everyone, even including the emperor, knew it was true. Paul is saying, you know the problem in the church? There's nobody with the courage of a little boy and a little girl just to point out what everyone knows, what everyone sees. And how many of us have been a part of a family of faith, of a body of believers, where we've experienced that, where there's a non-sin, whether it's a sinful attitude or a sinful action that everybody sees. And we recognize that it's corrupting the body, it's hurting the church, and yet we're afraid to deal with it or too arrogant. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, you're so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow and in shame. But there's no shame. Our pride has come and then disgrace, as it says in Proverbs eleven two. 2. And I suggest to you there's a problem in our world today about this issue. There's no shame over our sinfulness. And I see it, I think you do too. Come in contact with folks and they just don't care. I'll talk with folks and I'll talk about how their attitudes or their actions are contrary to their walk with God. And I literally hear folks say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And and when you've come to this place, it's not a healthy place. And it's, it's a reminder in our lives that we're abusing the grace of God. Yes, you are saved by God's grace. Paul would write that in Ephesians in his letter to that church. You're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. But you were created for his workmanship. You were created to reflect his image. You were created to give him glory. And when you thumb your nose to that lifestyle of Christ likeness, You're cheapening God's grace. You're taking for granted what Jesus died for.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement